0: to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message.
1: Take your Bibles if you would and turn with me to 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, I should say, chapter 8. Working our way through the letter of 2 Corinthians. And actually, I should say 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to finish up that chapter. And we've been looking at the last few weeks about a topic that we all love to hear about, giving. Giving generously. I know it's one of the topics that people say, I can't wait to go to church today to hear the pastor talk about giving. You're all excited about it, right? Well, here's the promise. We're going to get through it today. And let's see if you can get on through it unscathed and unchallenged. I pray that uh, that God's, God will do a, a work and help us understand about giving. This giving is very important. In this case, the apostles were raising funds again for the churches in Judea who were undergoing mighty persecution and they were recovering from a famine. So things were very, very difficult. And Paul had boasted to the Corinthians of the hard attitudes of the churches of Macedonia. Again, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And he had held up these churches and his example to the church of Corinth in the matter of giving. And essentially he's saying, do as the Macedonians do. The interesting twist that we saw last week is that the reason why the churches of Macedonia were so excited and so thrilled and had a great zeal for giving was because of the initial reaction to the Corinthians. So he's going back and saying, listen, what you started has started a fire and now you need to regain that and capture that. And we had saw in chapter 8 and up to chapter 9 that we've gone through so far that there were some instructions to the church of Corinth. One was they were to give in the midst of affliction. Many times, the only time people give is they think, well, we give when I have something left over, when I'm prospering. Well, the Bible says that we're to give, as the Macedonians, they gave out of their poverty and out of their persecution and affliction themselves. They should have been receiving church, but yet they had turned the tables and were a giving church. We also saw that they were to give voluntarily, sacrificially, and generously. That's how the church is to give. That's how we are to give, voluntarily, sacrificially, and generously. And then last week we talked about planning to give. And why planning to give is so important, because if you do not plan to give, if you're not setting something aside, they'll come to a point when, when it's time to give, you won't have anything. And then all of a sudden it'll seem like you have to give, and it'll be more of a burden and an obligation. Hence why he says, store up your money or store up your giving each week. And I think that's good news for us. You know, if if we have a car payment or a mortgage that's due, you don't wait until the last minute to try to conjure up the money. Now, that's how some of us may do it, but that's not the best way. What you do is you put aside money each week so that you can pay it when it comes necessary. The same way is what he's saying here. It just makes sense. And we had talked about giving. We said, well, how does that reflect us today? So I'm to give out of my poverty and out of my prosperity. I'm to give voluntarily, sacrificially, and generously, and I should plan it. What is it that the church needs today? We're not in the midst of famine. We're not in the midst of any persecution or affliction in any type of way. So why should I give to the church? And I had given you four things several weeks ago. The first one was to provide for the church ministry, just by the, for, the, for the leaders and the staff and those who support the church. Another reason was to provide for the household of God, its members, our deacons fund, our ways in which we help each other. The third one was to provide for those in need in order that we may share the gospel. and We do that in many different ways, but that's another way in which we give. And then the fourth one was to provide permissions so that we could send the gospel to other countries. Paul's desire for the Corinthian church was to excel in the act of generous giving. And we saw the first week in chapter 8, that's what God wants us to do. That's His is that we would excel in the grace of giving generously. But then you have to ask, well, why all this talk about giving? Why is this so important? Why is Paul, as he's writing this letter, seems to stop and then take two chapters to talk about an issue that's really a first century issue Why is he doing that? Why is he talking about giving? Why does God want us to give generously anyway? What's the point? And that's what we're going to challenge ourselves today, is there's a point to what Paul is sharing with the church, and then the point is the same for us today as it is for them. And so we're going to share with you this morning some spiritual truths that God wants us to understand about giving. And I'm going to give you kind of a big synopsis here, and then we're going to dig into it for a moment. So if you're looking at it, here's the point of the whole message. The point Paul is trying to say is in these two chapters is that you will reap what you sow, or you'll only reap what you sow. If you sow little, you'll you'll reap little, and vice versa. And then it goes to a precept. And I've shared with you many times, this is how Scripture works, is he gives us a thou shall or thou shall not. In this case, the precept is very simple. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. He's to give what's decided in his heart. There's a precept, and it comes through the annals of time that this is true for all people, for all times, for all circumstances, is that God will place on your heart that which you are to give, and you're to give it not under compulsion and not reluctantly. And the reason why is it points to a principle, because you might say, why do we need to do that? Well, he shares with us very simply that God loves a cheerful giver, right? We all like a cheerful giver. Now, I will say this, and I've learned this from a pastor up in Brea. He says this all the time, and I have to do this because there's a Brea person here. So I'll let you know that I'm giving credit where credit is due, is that he always said, when I was his associate, is that God loves a cheerful giver, but us poor pastors will accept from a grouch too. So just... Put that out there. But the principle is that God loves a cheerful giver. And the importance of this precept and the principle is that it always points to a person. God never gives us a precept or a command without pointing to who he is. And in this case, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, is that this precept of giving generously because God loves a cheerful giver points to a God who is generous and supplies all that we need. In other words, Paul is taking these two chapters, and he is talking about giving, but he's really giving some theological doctrine about who God is. He's revealing a God who gives and supplies to all, and that's what we want to tackle this morning. So, Father, help us to do so. I pray we're about to read your letter here in chapter 9, and I pray that you'd open our mind and our heart Lord, let us not uh, turn off because we're talking about giving. Let us not uh, tune it out because we feel that we're giving enough. But I pray that your spirit will help your word come alive and may you reveal yourself in a new and a powerful way this morning. May we be transformed by your message. Be with me as I speak. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let us discern between what's truth and what's error, what's biblical and what may be just preferences. Lord, because we want to hold you up As the ultimate authority of all things. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. What I'd like to do is we're going to read uh, 6 through 15 and then we'll go into it. He says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Thank you. And God is able, in verse 8, to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Amen? By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this or for his inexpressible gift. I want to share with you four observations of giving generously, four observations of giving generously. And the first one comes right there in verse uh, 6, the first one, where he says, the point is this, whoever spo- sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The first point is, is that Paul appeals to a proverb to make a point that bountiful giving leads to bountiful rewards. Paul here is not giving a shrewd investment strategy. And unfortunately, that's what this verse many times has been taken out of context and has been used to say, well, all you do, if you give, give more money, God will give you more money. You've heard that, right? It's kind of the prosperity type of message. But he's not really getting shrewd investment advice. He's not saying put your money here so that you can get back all there, but he's using an aggregate uh, common sense thing to help people understand about giving. He's making the point that God rewards generosity by giving us more to give, not to keep for ourselves. In other words, God gives in order for us to give more without worrying about our own needs. And you and I can understand this if we think of just a farmer. Imagine yourself as a farmer. You may have a little bit of money and he's starting out for the very first time. And so he goes, and maybe it's wheat, maybe it's corn, whatever it might be. It might be watermelon. I think being a waterman, watermelon uh, farmer would be the best type of farmer. So you take that, and he has to buy some seeds. So he has a little bit of money, and he buys the seed. And maybe it's a handful, maybe it's two handfuls, but maybe it's a sack of seeds. Now you can imagine, he says, now I paid all my money for these seeds. What do I need to do with them? And he might think, well... Maybe I should just sow just a little bit of them because, so I can have some more next year or maybe the year after or the year next. And so he may just plant a little bit and he just gets a little bit of, of harvest. And hopefully the famine or some other type of thing, he'll uh, be a good year and he'll grow some up. What he's saying is that may seem prudent. Doesn't it seem prudent? You know, just just do half the seeds so you have the half next year. Does that sound prudent? Sounds something, right? right? Is anyone listening? You should see the faces back. I'm one of those pastors that, that, that say that we always ought to have a mirror behind us so that you can see your face. I feel like I'm, I'm losing you already. Well, let me hurry through this. What we're saying there is that if you were to take your seeds and say, well, I'll only plant a little so I can have, next, so I can have some for the following years, does not understand agriculture. Because what's going to happen is, say watermelon. I love watermelon. So if I say I've got some watermelon seeds, the best thing for me to do was would be to plant each and every one of those seeds. You see, well, Rob, that doesn't make no sense because you won't have any seeds left. Well, you need to understand how God has created things to happen. Because if I get a great watermelon patch, right? Is that what it is? A patch? I think it is. What happens? You get great wonderful watermelon. But also, what do you get with that produce and that harvest? You get more seeds. And what's interesting, from one seed, you get what? A whole bunch of them. It's not like, you know, God hasn't made corn and wheat and and watermelons like Cracker Jacks where you just get one prize. No, he gives you all the seeds that you're going to need forever. So he says, the more sows as you seed, Is that sows, so that you're seeds that you sow, he says the more you do that, not only will you get a greater harvest, but I'll replace all those seeds much more. So in other words, don't worry about that. What God is saying, no, I will replace that seed. He's just saying it's just very simple common sense. Because what it does is that God is the one who's going to give you the growth. He's not, it's not the one who plants, it's not he who waters, they're nothing, it's God who's going to give the growth, and God is saying here, don't worry, follow through what, I, what I've what i created there in Genesis chapter 1, and every plant will grow of its kind, will give seed of its kind. And so we need to think of our giving, not in the matter of what we give away, I won't have back, but we have to recognize that God always returns back to his children, and we'll speak a little bit more of how that works. So the word, first one, he appeals to a proverb to make the point that bountiful giving leads to bountiful rewards. It gives us a thing from nature. The second thing we see in verse 7 is that precept then, is that God cites, or, or we, get, we get God cites Scripture to encourage giving generously and freely because God loves a cheerful giver. What's important here is not the amount that the Corinthians are giving or the Macedonians are giving, it's not the amount, it's the attitude of the heart. Even in the, in the, the, the story of the, of the widow and putting all of her might in, it wasn't how much, but it was her heart attitude. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 15. I want you to see this. Because God is more concerned with the heart than he is with our outward appearance and our outward uh, obligations or outward obedience for it's in the heart things begin in deuteronomy chapter 15 let's look at verse 7 he says if among you and this is speaking he's given the law he's saying this is this is going to be a law this is how i want you to live together as a community he says if among you one of your brothers should become poor if any of your to- or in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be, un- any, or lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, and he's speaking here of the seventh year, when they would give uh, all things back, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. What is he speaking here? He's speaking giving, but he's warning him, do not let your heart be hardened towards them. Do not give grudgingly, but give cheerfully in a desire to meet their needs. The third thing we see is that Paul refers to God's readiness to provide all that is necessary for generosity. And let's go back to chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look at verse 8 through 11 once again. And I think this is important for us to understand. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. That's an Old Testament quote. Verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And verse 11, once again, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul refers to God's readiness to provide all that is necessary generosity. In other words, God's command is for us to be generous. And what God is saying is you can be generous because I will make you able to be generous. One of the obstacles to you and I being generous is that of fear. Isn't that one of the things that keeps us many times from giving to a cause? It's a fear. It's a fear of if I pay that or if I give that, what will I do if I fall short? or if I don't have enough money at the end of the month. That may prevent many of you from giving to the church or giving to the deacon's fund or giving to a mission fund. It may prevent you from giving to charity or other types of causes that are worthwhile. It's our basic fear. It's a nature. I need to have enough for me, and that's all I have. And that may be something that you and I really have to consider is that many times as we look at our budget, we look at what we have, And we look and say, there's no way that I can give. I barely have enough for myself. And some of you might be in the situation where you look and say, man, I don't even have enough for myself. Are you saying I should be generous? Scripture tells us, yes. You yourself are to give generously. Take your Bibles real quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look up a couple verses here today. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is you and I need to realize that we need to get past that fear. It's part of the problem, especially here in America, and especially here in Southern California, is that we think of money as for our own consumer, our own consumption. And we're always afraid that we won't have enough. But look at this warning that Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 6 but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing or take anything out of the world but if we have food and clothing with these we will be content now if you ask the the the, the average american family they probably would say no i don't have enough i'm not content i wish i had x y and z but those who desire to be rich fall in temptation into a snare and in many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now you notice it didn't say the rich. Who did he say? Those who desire to be rich. Am I hearing the lotto? lottery? Indian ca- casino gambling? Using things, desiring to be rich. So again, now he's not talking about how much you have. He's talking about how you view money, how your heart is. For the love of money, familiar verse, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Their desire to keep things for themselves and attain for themselves and not to be generous, it says, has kept many out of the kingdom of God. We saw this several uh, months ago when we talked about the rich young man. When he said, what should I do to inherit uh, eternal life? And God says, keep the commandments. He says, I've done all these. Then he says, well, good. Now sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And what's the rest of the story? And he walked away sad, for he had many, many goods. And I feel one of the things that's keeping you and I from giving generously is that you and I really are not content with what God has given us. And see, we have to understand that, is that everything that we have is from God. In your prosperity and in your poverty, that's God's gift for you and God's station in life for you. I was waiting for an amen there for anyone might agree. Mainly what you might get is you might get an old me. You mean God wants me just to be struggling? Does God just want me to to have this much? Very well could be. For all things come from God, right? All that we have. You may say, no, no, I I work harder than anyone else. I studied and went to school more than anyone else. I've applied myself more than anyone else. Let me ask you, where would you get that fortitude? Where would you get that work ethic? All from my parents, well, where would it come from? Again, God wired, designed us in such a way. What you and I need to understand is when we don't give generously, when we allow that fear to stop us from giving the way God has called us to, that reluctance to generous giving reflects a refusal. Let me say this. Hear this. It reflects a refusal to trust God for your basic needs. For you're saying, if I were to give to the church, or if I were to give generously to someone in need, then I will be without. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of our church um, vision statement. In Matthew chapter 6, 25-34, through 34, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to kind of highlight the majority of it. This is a, a portion of Scripture that many of you know. Write it down. Take time to read it later this week. Pray over this. Where he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. "...nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap. They gather or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing?" Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the field, the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the world, seek after these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, what does He say? Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So when you are a reluctant giver, And we're talking about generous giving, not giving a dollar, not giving a $2, but giving voluntarily, sacrificially, and generously. What you're saying is, I cannot do that because I don't trust that God will supply my need later on. Well, God says, take that fear and throw it away. Don't be anxious about it. Now, that doesn't mean that we become foolish with our money. Doesn't mean that you take your whole check and give it away. God has given us common sense in which we which we which we're to to uh, honor Him with our money. And we talked a little bit that last week of how we're to do that. We're to give our money, we're to we're to, to save our money, we're to pay our taxes with our money, we're to pay our debt, and then we're to spend it. Is what's your priorities? But God says do not let fear reign and keep you from giving generously. For God is the one who gives you what you have and if you were to give generously, He says, I'll make sure that you're taken care of. That doesn't mean if He if you give $10 to the church, He's going to give you 30 That seems how we try to make it. but God says, I'll supply your needs. I'll supply what it all it is. God gives us all that we need. Sufficiency, even if we give out of, out of our poverty. Giving is based on God's faithfulness and His promise to His children. And God enriches us in order for us to be generous. David Garland writes this, and listen to this for a moment, because this is powerful, I believe. When God gives us our resources, our job, our money, dividends, whatever it may be, it could even be just your intellect and your giftings. When God gives us our resources, God gives us more than we need. Now, you may not think so, but it's true. Not so that we can have more, but so that we can give more to others. God does not bestow material blessings so that one can hoard them for, the, for himself or withdraw from others, but so that they might be shared with others. The whole purpose of the collection, therefore, for the Corinthians, he's speaking, is not to establish the independence of the Gentile Christians from the Jewish Christians, but to deepen their interdependence. And that's something that you and I have to understand, is that we give uh, generously to each other, there becomes an interdependence. And I want to think some of you have given generously because there are some in our congregation that need it. Myself and my family, we are dependent on your generosity to supply the needs for my family and for those that work here and minister here, and so on and so forth. So what are we saying is many of us, when we get our check, when we get our payroll, when we get our give, we think, this is mine." Someone asked the question, "Well, how much of my money is God's? Would someone like to answer that for me? All of it. Well, are you acting like it? Do you use your money that way? Do you plan your money that way? Or is the first thing you think, I now get to spend it? Dot, dot, dot. The fourth thing that I want you to get here is that Paul maintains that their generosity will bring a great harvest of thanksgiving to God. And now we're getting in what we give. He's said, here's why you need to be generous, because this is not how the world thinks. The world does think if I give, I ought to get back. The world thinks, well, I need to just keep my giving under wraps so I have enough for myself. Or they give because they want to get the blessings and they want the prestige and the power and the rewards. But God says, no, Christian giving is so much different. You don't give so that you may get the blessing, but that God does. And we see that in verses 12 through 15, where he says, for the ministry of this servant Service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession, or confession, excuse me, of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the, for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. What we need to realize is that when we are generously giving, it leads others to give praise to God. We see the purpose of the relief project here in chapter 9 is twofold. One, it will supply the needs of those who need it the most. But then the second thing, the secondary we see is those that receive it will not only think the benefit of those that gave, but they'll also see that God met their need through them. You see, that's sometimes we have to understand. is that when God says he's going to feed and take care and make sure that his children have clothing, what he meant is not that it's going to drop from heaven, not that it's going to materialize in some type of way at your door, And not in the fact that he may just give you more money. It may be the fact that you humble yourself and you allow someone else to provide that for you. You may be the very conduit for God meeting someone's need. And when we do that, it brings much glory to God. We're to give freely and unselfishly. Our response to this gift of giving generously is praise to God. This inexpressible gift can mean two things. For one, it could be the gift of the giving, but also it's the gift of being able to give generously. And that's where God is saying, is you need to pray that God will give you the strength, the faith, and the courage to give more generously. See, what we have to understand here is that this, what's going on here in chapter 8 and 9 is a God-made catastrophe. The church at Jerusalem is facing great persecution and famine. So the question is, is, how did that come? Well, God is the one who created the famine. God is the one who's allowing persecution to happen. God should take care of them. Why should it be me? Isn't that how many of us act? But God says, yes, I created the famine. I created the circumstance where there are hungry and swollen bellies. Many of my children are suffering because of the decision I made, but yet God says, I created the need. God then says, I'm going to create the solution. And the solution is, is I'm going to give you generous hearts and a desire to give. And so in this, it's always God who gets the glory. For if God creates a problem or creates a tough circumstance, it's God is the one who's going to wind up providing that need. In the end, it's God who gets the glory. Let me ask you this. What or who do you use your money for? What's preventing you from being a generous, cheerful giver? What's the purpose of your money? Why do you give? Is it for your own honor? Is it for your own prestige? Is it for your own glory? Oh, Your own self-satisfaction? If so, God does not honor that. In Luke chapter 12, verse 31 through 32, there's a parable of the rich fool. And Jesus is speaking to him, and someone comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brothers to divide his inheritance with me. Jesus says, Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? But he warns them and says this, and here's here's what you and I need to understand. He says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now in this world, in this country, that's how we keep score. But God says that that does no one no good. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? What should I do with all my goods? What should I do with my money? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Don't many of us think the same way? We call it retirement. Man, I can't wait until I retire and I can do golf and I can do anything I want to, and I'm set up. Let's make my 401 more. Let's make my my pension plan bigger. Verse 19, though, he says, and I will say, or in verse 20, he says, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Not too many funerals when you see the, uh, the hearse going down. You've all seen it, right? You've seen the hearse and all the collection of cars following it. You never see a U-Haul with all their belongings following behind them. You can bury them with you. You hear people being buried with the car, but what good does it do them? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So God says, beware, covetousness is in the heart of man. And the solution to, or the one that attacks uh, covetousness, the one that breaks the, the heart of a covetousness, is generosity. Realizing that it isn't for me, but it's something to give to others. What does your giving say about your actions, your attitude, and your nature? Does it show that you have been redeemed? Does your action, your attitude, and your nature, does it prove your confession? James chapter 2, verse 14, James writes and says, You know what? You say you have faith, but where is your works? Your confession is not true. And for you and I, we have a troubling and important portion of Scripture here. For he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have faith, or it does not have works, but is dead. In your bulletin, you'll see that there's a fresh fire. In the middle of the bulletin, I always give you a little saying, something about the gospel. In this week the gospel coalition writes this the gospel opens our eyes to the fact that all of our wealth even wealth for which we worked hard is ultimately an unmerited gift from God therefore the person who does not give generously or generously give away his or her wealth to others is not merely lacking in compassion but is unjust why because God has freely and generously given to us. I want to share with you real quick things and we're near close. Is there's four benefits of giving generous, generously. I think you understand by now is that God's command is that you are to give generously and cheerfully. All that you have, you're to give, not expecting for return, but recognizing that God will supply your need. So do not let covetousness and fear be the rule of your heart and of your giving, but that which God has placed in your heart. But there's four benefits of giving generously, and we see this from the Scripture. The first one is it will make them spiritually rich. We saw this in verses 8 through 10. In verses 11 through 13, it will bring thanksgiving and praise to God. In verse 14, the recipients will respond with prayers for them. As you give, it creates a goodwill and bearing for you and I. And then verse 11, the benefit of giving generously is that it advances the well-being and solidarity of the worldwide Christian community. When you and I work and are unified in meeting each other's needs, it creates a closer bond. Even with those missions and other churches that are not our own local assembly, but are scattered throughout the world. Whether it's in Takate or the Ukraine, or somewhere else, it brings solidarity when we give. So you may be here today and you say, Rob, I understand God's Word. And I want to follow God's Word. I want to be a generous giving person. I want to trust God. I want to Prove my confession. How can I do it? I don't think I can give 10% a tithe. Well, now I'm going to speak of Rob. Because I believe so many times that we've taken the tithe and we've taken it out of context. The tithe was for the Old Testament. It was a, 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 a thing that the, uh, God had given to the uh, to the Israelites. It was also something that the Near East did. In the Scripture, He hasn't called us to tithe. He's called us to give cheerfully and generously. So if that's your desire and you're saying, I want to pray now what I am to give, and you should pray. Don't give what I tell you to give. And don't give what someone else, for it's a gift from God. Here's four things you may want to write this down. Start praying and thinking and planning this way. First, there's priority giving. That's where you give of your first fruits. Before you write the mortgage check, before you write the the car payment, before you put money in the savings, determine what you're going to give to God. Whatever it might be, give of the top. Let that be your first check. Don't let it be the last. If it's the last, you will not be successful. The second one is percentage. Jacob says, I'll give a tithe to you. I'll give a 10%. But you know what? If you're not able to give 10%, which is quite a bit, maybe you can just begin by giving 1%. Maybe it's 2% and allow God to give you the grace and the faith to give more. The second one is progressive. Gradually learn to give more. And sometimes that's what you and I need to do. You need to put on the training wheels. And once you give maybe 10 bucks a week and God and you see God is meeting that need and God is and you're finding faith maybe the next week you give 12 or more, so on. Let it be gradually, but progressively. Never get to the point where you say, I've given enough to God. See, that's what many of us do. If we get to that 10%, we say, well, that's it. Really? I think that's news to the kingdom of God. And then prompted giving. Just put your mouth where your money is. There may many times when we may come up and we say, there's a great need. Have money set aside and say, I'm ready to give this to a great need, whether it's to a a new furnace, new air conditioner, or someone in the church is in need, and we need to collect that money now. Be ready to give promptly. Luke chapter 16, verse 9, has this great verse. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, when money fails, They may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What is he saying? God says be different from the world. They use their money to gain advantage and to get something out of it. But you, you use your money to advance the kingdom of God. Would you join today? God calls us to be generous, um, cheerful givers. What type of giver are you? Lord, I pray that you help us understand this. I know it can be a tough message sometimes to hear. And money is so close to us. Money is the one thing that, that many times can keep some people from, from home to homeless, to food to no food. But Lord, let us help us to see, Lord, we're to be generous givers no matter what our income. Lord, let us trust you. Give us a stronger faith. Give us a strongest desire to give. Not so that we as a church can attain and have bigger uh, bank account, but Lord, that we turn around and then we give it out. We should be a conduit for your glory, so that you may be glorified and that others may see to come and know you. We
0: ask this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkininfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing your review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.